0: Hey guys, welcome to Sugar Not Meg. Guess what? What? (laughs) Are we playing a knock-knock joke? (laughs) Knock-knock, who's there?
1: (laughs) So, the other day, when me and my friends, we went to have a drink in a a local bar in Jakarta. And when I was waiting for my friend's uh, Uber, not Uber, a Grab car outside in the parking lot, there was this guy. I think he was tipsy already. And he was trying to talk to us in a flirty way but he spoke in english and me and my friends were wondering like why indonesian people they speak english when they're drunk you know and it happens a lot of the time but i don't know in other cities but in jakarta it's most likely that people like when they're drunk they just started speaking english don't you think so it never
0: clicked in my mind until you're telling me this because now i realize that my friends like who are in jakarta who normally speak bahasa indo like indonesian as their mother tongue and their first language and english is like their third language after javanese or sunda sundanese um Whenever they're like, whenever we go out drinking and they get drunk, they start speaking English right away, and it's so weird. It's like, I just had a realization that they do that, which, but why though? Is it because of the drink? (laughs) I don't know, I don't know why. I don't know why. It's like a tendency, and like, specifically for I guess people in Jakarta no, but no i feel like because i've also met people in like Jogja Solo Surabaya who do the same thing when they're mm. drunk they start speaking english and i'm mm. like what the fuck like why
1: yeah um, but indonesian words are more playful cuz right yeah that's what i'm saying like right it, yeah so i don't know why right cuz you can use more than like just your national language you could play around with your uh, with the language you grew up with In a specific location, like Japanese dialect or Sundanese, or I don't know, there are tons.
0: Mm. Well, I guess this all relates to our conversation with Tiffany and Norman, who had such insightful answers about what it means for so many Indonesians to create our own languages, to have so many different ethnic groups and therefore different dialects,
1: Um, and we also talked about Norman's new book. I mean, not new, but uh, it's the English version that is new.
0: Yeah. Um, and yeah, should we introduce them? <laughs> Tiffany Sao, born in the US and of Chinese-Indonesian descent, is a writer and literary translator. She is the author of The Outfits and Under Your Wings. Her translations from Indonesian to English include Stari's novel Paper Boats, and Lakshmi Pamunjak's The Bird Woman's Palette. As well as Norman Erickson Pasaribu's poetry collection, Sergius Seeks Bacchus, and Happy Stories, Mostly. Her translations of Norman's poetry have won the English Pen Presents and English Pen
1: Translates Awards. Norman Eriksson Pasaribu is a writer, translator, and editor. He is a two-time winner of the Cactulistiwa Literary Award, The first for prose in 2014 and the second for poetry in 2016. His debut poetry collection, Sergius, which we talked about in this episode, also won the 2015 Jakarta Arts Council Poetry Competition and named by Tempo as one of the best poetry collections of that year. He draws on his experiences as a queer writer of Batak descent and Christian background. In his work, he plays with alternative gospel, speculative fiction, loneliness, and also happiness, mostly.
0: Norman, in your book, there's a chapter where you write about Marga Batak, um, Batak surnames. And I love how there is no over-explaining of like, what this surname means and what this surname is, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's like, if if you don't understand it, then you don't understand it. And I feel like that's rare because now everyone's just over explaining. And I'm curious about the intended audience or what, what were you thinking? I know that your first book had footnotes, um, which I found really cute. And then in um, the happy stories, there were no footnotes, which again, like is, I feel a statement in itself. And Ruth and I were also talking about like Tiffany in The Majesties, you also had a similar way of storytelling where there wasn't a lot of like over-explanation in a good way that it's like, okay, this is what happened and feel free to do your own research kind of.
1: um. Yeah, like the one about the 1997, in the beginning, you didn't really say much, but then you you provide more explanation at almost at the end of the book. That's very interesting instead of like giving uh, the readers like a background of like what happened.
2: Actually, I I still remember this was an issue when I first started translating for for, uh, Norman's poetry. And yeah, I think like Norman actually made me kind of try to be more daring, you know? And just, he's kind of like, we don't need to explain what like, you know, this is. (laughs) We don't need, Mm -hmm. you know, like, And we can just—I think we can just leave it untranslated because I think my tendency at that time was to just was to translate a lot of things, and that actually comes through in the majesties where um, there actually you won't find that many like Indonesian words that have just been left untranslated. Um, Like I kind of translated them in my head, but then like looking back, I think I probably would have just left them in, and then that's that changed a lot for me when I was working with with Norman because I think Norman was just like. They can just look it up, Tiffy. There's Google, you know. And then I was like, Yeah, you're right. Okay, okay.
1: <laughs> um, but do you have pressure from the publisher to like, why don't you put like more information about this, about this? Hmm. Because our audience is uh, English-speaking people. Do you have that with your?
2: Not so much for the English editions of um, Norman's work. I feel like they were really good in saying like, no, you don't need to. that's good. Yeah, yeah. But I think Tilted Axis is quite cool in that respect. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, For my novel, there was a bit more pushback.
3: Um, So, okay, I'm not going to mention a name. So there is this translation of Indonesian work that translates sambal bajak into fried chili sambal bajak. (laughs) So it's kind of like super long for like, Yeah. (laughs) just use sambal bajak. It's really a really strange irony for me when white person writes and use the word sambal is okay, even to use it as a title, they can do it. But when Indonesian in translation or writing in English, use the word sambal, the publisher sometimes like, what is this? You cannot do this. You can Google the word sambal and find numerous books written by white persons using the word sambal as a title. And it's okay to do that, but when it's Indonesian, it's going to be problematic like nobody will understand so it's kind of like i think it's it's a funny thing when i found uh this order books who's like the word sambal bajak translate into fried chili sambal bajak it's like four words the original is two words and it's like <laughs> i mean i think indonesian is uh, how to say lumayan cepat dalam context space because we don't use a lot of adjectives right even you can you can have all of the characteristic and just use the word baik, rumah yang baik, bapak yang baik, anjing yang baik. Nah, maksud aku, it's different kind of Indonesians like punya pace yang lebih cepat. Jadi kalau sambal bajak jadi fried chili sambal bajak, I think it's really for Indonesians reading it like what is this, something like that.
1: It's like repetition, mm.
0: like fried chili sambal. Yeah. Bajak. I think that's a daring thing to do in general and I love it, and I'm also learning to not not over-translate. I guess Ruth and I are talking about this project where, and it it actually relates in a way sort of to the article that you wrote, Norman, about how um, a lot of Indonesian stories end up in like a gender reveal. And I'm not trying to get a gender reveal out of this, but, um, how do you how do we explain it, Yaruth? Ruth? Um, basically, basically, it's like dia, um, and the dia is like technically it's more than one person too. It's more than one person, um, but then it also doesn't make sense to translate it as themselves. And then we didn't want to reveal that it's about a guy right away but then it's hard to do that because it's like either you reveal it as a guy right away or you hide the fact that it's a guy there's no like in between it's like it's yeah it's very binary
3: um english is so so my right yeah let's just admit that first that english is so solely my and how to say i think indonesians uh indonesian oh, sorry the language is more playful in terms of like everything like for example i i i talk about the gender reveal because sometimes when hetero writers write queer characters gender reveal is the whole point so it's like oh the whole story and then at the last sentence oh my god so they both are male something like that so it's kind of like Mm -hmm. for hetero writers the gayness of the characters are kind of like the cherry of the cake yeah like the star in the christmas tree like itulah the point of the whole thing sementara for us queer it's actually titik mula dari seluruh drama dalam hidup kita yang dihasilkan oleh teman-teman di keliling kita jadi kayaknya i feel like we need to how to say like if you if you want to refill just refill if you don't want to just then don't just do whatever you want
0: it's funny cuz Because Ruth's suggestion was like, oh, maybe we should just like put dia. Dia needs to like blah, blah, blah. Like don't change it to a he or she or them or they, just keep it as dia and introduce a new word into the English language. (laughs) And I'm like, that's that's a very bold move.
3: (laughs) But then publishers will call your work edgy. Are you ready to be edgy? (laughs) <gasps> like, like I think people feel the same about using the word datum because like it's it's different. I mean, of course I respect anyone who uses datum, but datum and D-I, it's different. It's like Yeah. Yeah, it's just yeah. different.
2: Mm, yeah, it is different. I mean, this was even shown when um oh I forget there was an article about some celebrity who came out as I think non-binary in Indonesia and then like And then all the headlines were something like, they changed from, like, dia to, okay, pronoun mereka. What? And then I was like, I was like, I feel like something is different. (laughs) But then it's like, dia is already, you know. That's why, that's why. And then I was like, oh, so it's like, they are like, all of a sudden, like, they're genderfying dia. (laughs) Like, so now dia is the binary one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs>
3: I, I know, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: so it's very it was very kind of like like I was like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. Um but yeah, it is it's different. It's just different. Um it's just so effortless in Indonesian. And then it's just interesting too because we got a lot of remember Norman, we got so much um people are like, it's like all of a sudden, you know, like When we we were like, oh yeah, there's a gender neutral pronoun, genderless pronoun in Indonesian, yeah. And then it's like, people were like, what? (laughs) And then I was like, and then they were like, wow. So Indonesian really has this like ability to be completely like gender neutral and you know non-binary based on this, based on the, the language itself. Because I think we mentioned something like that, but we were kind of like, it's like, of course not, because there's like actual like intrinsic biases. You know as well so it was kind of weird because all of a sudden then i was getting all these interview questions that are like so what do you think about you know indonesia's ability to be like more like queer friendly mm. and like you know non-binary than english because of the pronoun dia and then i was like <laughs> uh like people assume it's double-edged word yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's like not I think it's almost like, yeah, it became this romanticization in the yeah, other way.
3: Yeah.
2: And then, like, there's so many languages that have, like, gender-neutral pronouns. Like, maybe it's just because I was younger. When I was younger, growing up and learning uh, Mandarin, or, like, you know, a Chinese ha- used to just have ta, just, like, one gender-neutral pronoun for he or she, you know, or another person, right, the third-person pronoun. And it was, like, all of a sudden now, there's, like, a, a one for women, and then there's one for, like, it, and there's, I think, one for God. And But before, I think, I'm pretty sure he or she, we never learned like the one for female. We just learned the one for both he and she were all the same. Ta.
0: That's so interesting because when I was learning mandarin it, I like i went to a singapore secondary yeah. school and mm-hmm. when i guess by the time i learned it it was a female ta and a male ta oh. and now like i i guess like four years ago i believe they're changing it so that it's gender neutral ta again oh, well, so yeah. The, yeah so this is i'm like oh wow i guess
2: it it went from
0: gender neutral to gender and now back to gender neutral
2: yeah, and it was just really interesting because um, you know, like my son now he's like learning Mandarin, and then I'm like, oh, there's so many ta's now. Like I could have sworn there was just like, you know, one growing up. But then it's a similar thing, I think, because um, Norman, you said that in the 1980s there was talk among writers about in Indonesia about saying like, oh, maybe we should make like male and female. Yeah. Noun.
3: yeah. Okay, I am a, I a bit forget about it. Like the name of the writer. But there is an article in like older, I think it's in Tempo, the ruang bahasa Tempo, I guess. Uh, so there is a talk about gendering Indonesian pronoun, uh, like dia as a he and ia as a she or like reverse. But then, why do you want to gender a less gendered language? Why do you want to make it gendered? Why? Why? But I think it came from colonial mentality, like the idea that whatever coming from the west is like better so it's like oh english is gendered we have to be gendered to something like that
2: yeah and i think it's this mania for classification too like oh we need to classify and be really specific because something i notice about english when translating is that english is so um like anal retentive like it's always like what is this one what is this pronoun referring to what is this it where is this you know like it's You can't even say like, oh, someone's 20. Oh, and you know, you get a comment that's like from the editor that's like, 20? I thought they were like 21, you know? But in, like, it's really different. Like, so you can't literally translate and you have to like, just remember that the English reader, like, it's like, I don't know how to put it, but like, I feel like almost like the English assumes the reader's really dumb. And it's like, oh, you really need to like hold the hand and say like, okay, so the it is referring to this. The nya is like this one not that Mm -hmm. one you know like and it's like Mm -hmm. they can't figure it out for themselves so I just find it like really interesting yeah
0: do you find that it's it's English speaking audiences in in general or specific to the U.S.
2: oh I don't know you know I was thinking about this because actually like I feel I don't know Norman what do you think like I feel like like sometimes we get reviews on Instagram or from book bloggers and I feel like the ones from like in English but you know from like India Philippines uh-huh. background of other places like I feel like I don't know something is like maybe they connect more and then I feel like for Western readers a connection is like a bit different somehow I don't know how to put it
0: yeah I I asked because um, I noticed that even between European and U.S. audiences there definitely is a difference like I've I've been trying to like um, scrutinize it more, and people easily like it's it's easy for people to just say like oh white white people this white people that but then when I have discussions with white Europeans they are not um, they are used to this sort of ambiguity or playfulness in a piece of work whereas U.S. audiences want things to be very obvious and spelled out specifically for them and they and it's something that I notice is like very specifically U.S. American
2: oh maybe it is because remember like that whole thing where they changed the name of the first Harry Potter book It was like the Philosopher's Stone in the UK, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. And then they changed in the US to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And then people were all like laughing and kind of being like, oh, because US will be like, oh, no, there's a philosopher in it. I don't want to read this book. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's about philosopher. It's not about sorcerer.
1: Uh, Yeah, like the other day I was talking with my friends who already, most of them are already have kids and they're all putting their kids into international school because they want the kids, their kids to speak English, right? But now the problem is that be- they're more used to speaking English. So when they have a Indonesian class, they're confused how to translate English to Indonesia, which is kind of ironic. And I, I'm interested, like, because dia, nya, and ia, it's very interesting, right? So... I kinda wonder like is it gonna be gone in like 20 years if the next generations uh are speaking English?
3: Uh I think talking about language in Indonesian context is quite complicated. Is. Because like almost every one of us loss lose a language to live, like Bataknese people like me, we lose Bataknese. Mm-hmm. Tiffany, for example, lose mandarins. Like, like, she can talk Mandarin, but it is not her first tongue. So I think as Indonesian, we all, all of us, lose a language to continue to live here. So I think one of my regret is I don't speak Bataknis so well. So I feel like if, if ever I have a child one day or not, I, I, I don't want them to experience the same thing because it's, it's quite sad to miss a language that you don't speak. Like just imagining that it is how your parents talk inside their room. Like it's the, it's their language of love and you cannot join those language. And then to actually learn to, to speak that beteknis at, at your, age like 30 it it is quite hard to do that somehow unless maybe if i move back to Sumatra. and then i was like i feel like for those parents who like uh abandoning indonesian for english maybe they need to think about it karena nanti one day if their children kind of like wanting to speak indonesian and they can't it's gonna be sad
0: yeah I feel like it's also the same I I observe with Indonesian American kids who are born and raised here. They lose so much and they, they have no connection. And I was actually talking to two of my college friends um, and they're married to another Indonesian, but then they speak English. So like their kids do- can't even hear their parents speaking in another language to even just pick it up at home. And I'm like, wow, you, I guess, you know, you're not really protecting the language. And that, that's a, that's a big loss. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I think, I think for me personally, Indonesian is important for me personally, uh, or like Bataknis also, because that's how our memories are made, like sounds, like things said by your parents, by your friends. So, um, I think it's sad when when your children cannot experience the same. Maybe, I, I don't know, because I feel like, I still feel if my parents have to like switch back to Indonesian because I don't understand, sometimes now I feel a bit sad about it. Like, like I cannot understand them in the language that they are like, grow up with.
1: But Norman, speaking about English, on the ABC podcast, you said that actually within queer community in Indonesia, especially in Jakarta, speaking English is kind of give them a sense of home or acceptance. I think that's what you said there.
3: Not acceptance. It's like in a public places, if you want to talk about your boyfriend or like you, you will switch to English just because you have assumption that the people around you will not understand. Mm something like that. Uh, aku aku ngerasa when i was younger we just i don't know if 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 this happened to any of you but we kind of like make our own language yang like misalkan nih kita misalkan kata uh, rumah. Jadi jadi kita akan menggantinya misalkan jadi mahru tapi kita akan menyelipkan ba mah baru gitu. Jadi somehow we we are making our own language so we can talk freely about our love interest in public i think that mentality comes from so many language uh spoken at school in a way for example for example kalau di kelas kita ada orang jawa orang orang batak jadi somehow sometimes we have this consciousness that even though they, they spoke in indonesian that there are like many languages in the room. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it affects how, how we, we think we can invent languages. And sometimes it, it mix up between, between English and Indonesian. For example, when adding more sisipan, so we, we kind of like making it sounds different and there is like several, like you have three circles at school, at home, then tempat kursus and. In each place you have your own language. Yeah, that's true.
1: Uh,
3: and I, I feel like it's also queer culture, you know, to make languages.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's bahasa binan. Iya, yeah, bahasa binan.
3: Right? <laughs> Tapi aku mulai berbahasa binan tuh kuliah justru.
0: I, I just remember there was a time um, when it's like, they would add aga ugu in like between the words so yeah, instead of, yeah um but then but then that was like the extent of it um but i i know like some of my friends went beyond that and created even more
3: creative oh, words it can be like extremely complicated and i feel like <laughs> i feel like it's it's kind of cool if, if we think about it now i i, I don't remember now all of those languages but it was fun and i feel like um that fluidity also accommodation bahasa indonesia gitu yeah because i feel like indonesians like even when when it is spoken orally it's it is much more freer yeah. in terms of like how to say personal experiments with language
0: like when you say uh when it's spoken
3: versus written no no i mean in terms of like even like daily vernacular, Indonesian is much more like open to any kind of like personal experiments. Right. Like It's for like example, DIY. Like you can just make it yourself. Yeah, kaya kata Jayus. Now means funny jokes that become funny because it is unfunny, right? But uh-huh. nah, if we trace the word Jayus, it actually come, I think it come from a lab school student oh. name Jayusman. Oh, really? Oh oh my God. God. <laughs> yeah, and he was the strange. I of course I don't know him, but I I know it from a friend. He was kind of like a strange kid that often spoke about unfunny jokes that actually become funny because it is unfunny. So and then when when people do the similar thing, jayus banget sih loh. Maksud, And then from like a school in Jakarta, it's spread nationally. Now everyone say. That oh my that god i love that i love that and so much for example like the word lebay it also starts like i think it's from anak ui ya yeah? lebih and lebay like that lebay uh-huh. for berlebihan and then in in like contemporary culture like how bekasi um vernacular kind of like floating the internet like sebat itu kan bahasa bekasi banget
1: really oh, i, I never, never i thought i
3: thought that was like uh, Betawi, cause Ruth so, says it. Ruth says it like all it, the time. like from Betawi Bekasi, like orang Bekasi. Mm-hmm. We talk about like from long time ago, and then when it comes to the internet, like yeah, udah orang nggak 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 inget dari mana asalnya gitu. Tapi kalau orang Bekasi, we know.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. I feel like that's the hardest part for me to keep up with all of the new slang and. Yeah. Um. Like I remember when I because uh, I had been living in the States for like almost 10 years and then I went back to Indo and stayed for a year and a half. And that like the first three months was such a big struggle because people would tell me Japri, Japri. And I thought it was a name of a person um, like like Jeffrey, but Indonesian <laughs> version of Jeffrey, <laughs> Japri. And then what was the other one? Um Oh my God, there's so many, there's so many that I, that I, I got mixed up. Um, because it's so fast, like you just come up with all of these new um, slang words so quickly.
3: Yeah, there is new phrase mode jongkok. Huh? Mode jongkok, mode jongkok means it's like serious mode.
1: Oh my God, oh my God, <laughs> because you, because when you poop, you, you oh, put no, that no. face, right?
3: No, no, no. Mode jongkok from Mobile Legends a professional player called Xin yang jongkok kalau dia serius.
1: Oh my god. Jadi kalau dia mau main
3: serius dia akan jongkok. Jadi semua orang sekarang pakai free oh mode jongkok. That's a strange time. And I feel like all of those how to say slang, all of those linguistic culture doesn't come from how to say intellectuals. It comes from like mm. real people on the
1: grassroots.
3: Somehow. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Dejo- I still found found it funny.
1: <laughs> Tiffany. Is it hard to like translate the humor, especially um the one that Alexandra and I really like is about what is it called Alexandra? It's about you were working in heaven. Ah yes. If you see the others
0: Divisions for unanswered prayers, division for dreams, division um, of hopes, and then there's an intake division for prayers. Um, I don't know. We really love that. And of course, like, you know, I have all these questions about like what inspired you. Um, But also because Ruth and I worked on a project that is related about prayer, we realized that this thing about prayer and... um, I don't know, like reverence for the afterlife or a higher power is kind of like maybe an Indonesian thing, like a deeply Indonesian thing that maybe, you know, the contemporary Western mindset might not get, you know, with, I don't know, like the 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 move towards atheism or whatever, you know, there, there are those like nuances that we're curious about.
3: So I, i often do this weird stuff where i how to say so i make a poem about my short story oh i love that yeah but it's just like how to say because i like to like make my work half linked to each other
0: mm-hmm. Uh huh.
3: so when people say body of work it is really body of work some, right. something like that so i yeah, you should the publish link.
1: them together Not a com- companion
3: after i die in <laughs> from
1: now <sighs> <sighs> tiffany is it harder to translate this new one the the short stories or the poems
2: well there were so many factors because with poems first of all i'm not naturally poetic I feel. and like so there was that and i actually that was one consideration when i first approached norman i said my poetry skill i don't think is very good but I want to try and maybe you can help me. So I think I rel- that's when we ended up like collaborating so much on the translations, but also because um, I felt like Norman and I were still getting used to each other's style maybe. Yeah. And, you know, it takes a while I think to sync, um, like S-Y-N-C, not S-I-N-K. And then uh, like, so for the short stories, it's hard to tell whether it's because they were short stories or because we were already kind of synced um, so just to go back to your question about the humor mm-hmm. um, I feel like I don't know correct me if I'm wrong Norman but like I feel like humor is actually like
3: Humor is your forte um,
2: My stronger point right? Humor yeah
3: It's my, my stronger point right. translating And then Yeah yeah. I think if you read Indonesian there is a ton of melancholy right? Even like if you if you heard the word hujan it, it's, it, it has this little slight tone on of melancholy that is inexistent in english words rain for example so it's kind of like making any humor in indonesian work have this slight how to say like a dose a small dosage of sadness and for example that's also why uh puisi puisi jogpin is so good because it's so funny and then it's also sad so it's i mm-hmm. think it's 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 Humor is, is Tiffany's forte It's actually the, the sad tone that is harder to, to navigate like, properly, I think. because like it's, usually, when it's about the humor, Tiffany like, is so effortless at translating it, But then when it comes to sadness, it's, uh, it's, we need to talk more about, about certain like, phrase phrasing or like
2: right.
3: how it, it should be said, something like that.
2: Mm -hmm. yeah so for example like um I still remember there's a few lines where Norman would say this is you know um like quite a literal translation but I think there's more darkness in it or bitterness so then we have to like kind of go back and like redo that and I think I don't know what it is I have been thinking a lot about humor in Indonesian versus English because I do feel almost like it's been interesting to see how a lot of English speaking readers um and maybe like more specifically, Western readers interact with the humor of um, Norman's work. Like it's, like it's almost like it has to be either funny or sad. But I don't know if it's just because maybe the particular demographic who was who was reviewing or reading those in particular. But it's like it seemed to be really hard for some people to figure out that like it can be like funny and sad. <laughs> so it'd be like, oh, but there are some parts are funny, but some parts are sad. But it's like, funny sad hyphen.
0: Um, maybe that is like another specifically Indonesian thing to have something melancholic, Mm. but also funny, like dark. I wouldn't say dark humor, but you know, having the humor and
3: bataknis too. To like having like sad laughter,
2: um,
3: it's kind of like how to say how I grew up looking at all of the adults in my family when they kind of like. Telling jokes and then also be sad about it and then also like making their misfortune as like funny, funny mm. thing. Even though like one day we will like caught them weeping over it. It's, right. it's, I think it's, it's a cultural thing and then it shape how I write.
1: Mm. Yeah,
3: yeah. I think like the idea that something is not preserveable in translation makes translation is much more important when when it is a good translation you should have known that the translator worked damn hard to to make it that good so the more reasons to appreciate a good translation i think tiffany translates my work brilliantly personally i feel that so i don't know like how to say it's a hard work you know to translate not only words but ideas but also because each person thinks differently. Tiffany thinks differently from me, of course. And she gives room for my thoughts, in her thoughts. I think that's that's generous and then kind. I, I don't know if I make sense, but yeah.
2: Well, it's funny because I also feel like you give room for me to, for my thoughts in the translation. I don't know how to put it because, I mean, I, there's so many times. um yeah where Norman said, can you, like, he you leave it quite open, you know, you're like, can you, can you find, maybe can we translate this another way, just be more playful, and then I'm like, oh. you know, that's not direction, right, so he gives room also for yeah. my thoughts as well, so it's kind of like a joint thing, and then also, yeah, I think more and more, um, when working with translation, it's kind of like, it's like, yeah, like they're parallel versions of each. They're just different versions. It's not like one is the generation of the other. They're just different.
3: Yeah. I think you can say that I write my work with so much ganit, like ganjan, mm-hmm. dalam menulis. So I feel like my translator should be ganjen also, you know, like generous in terms of like being playful. Karena I feel like Sometimes people like are so serious right about their writing and i i don't feel i am serious that way gitu jadinya i feel like uh i tend to be more like suka-suka gitu lo jadinya i feel like my my translator should have the freedom to be suka-suka rather than yang kayak oh this is, should be like this because i feel like it it much easier to translate when you have fun that's I think that's I can say.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like it reminds me of um, because you know uh that short story about the nun who runs away from the convent.
3: Yeah.
2: Um de Glorium. Uh, like at the end, right? It's um, because I was thinking that you know, like it's kind of nice to have, I guess maybe like Norman's voice in my head when I'm translating because then there's a part in see in the Indonesian version and it's talking about like fly away flies but it's like I mean fly and fly is different in, in Indonesian right it's the Hmong and lala right so then it's kind of like different but then in English I was excited I was like oh I can make it fly away flies because it's like two flies <sighs> <laughs> and then I can do that and I know that like oh you know like I think Norman will like it too so um you know sometimes I think like things like that even whereas maybe before um you know i would have been more like oh i cannot make that joke because it's not there in the original um or you know i cannot make that nice phrase because it's not there in the original and then now i can like it's it gives you more i guess creative freedom and then i
3: but, know but also like, like you know. uh for example in indonesian we can say memutus kanon tak memutuskan, untuk memutuskan. <laughs>
1: right yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, and that is in the visi doa, right? Like that's yeah. that oh, story, and then
3: yeah, like I wanted to translate it so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I feel like those those playfulness kind actually, pasti ada di semua karya Indonesia because sometimes we are pretty chill. I guess I don't know. You to see. Yeah,
1: yeah.
3: And I think, I feel like even if you cannot preserve the word play in english i think you should preserve the spirit right
2: yeah i think that's something that i feel like been doing more yeah. I guess, with your work because it's kind of like yeah. the spirit is there so even if you cannot literally translate this one instance it's almost like you can put it somewhere else you know that same spirit can be somewhere else and yeah, yeah that's something i don't think people talk about with trans yeah
3: like- oh if people talk about indonesian work they will talk about like oh the the war oh my god and then they they stop talking about like the character they don't talk about like how the writers write it's mm-hmm. always i think it's always sad when when indonesian work is always seen as like political statement i mean of course any everything is political statement but then uh i think indonesian writing is so much more than that i yeah. guess even like sometimes people ignore to talk about the craft or like the playfulness of the work even if it's like it is very apparent they just keep like kembali lagi ke lingkaran kecil yang namanya political statement it's strange and then when we start talking about craft times up. come back tomorrow <laughs> okay
1: bye. but i think it's not only indonesia though i think now it's the the so the way we interact, or comment, or communicate, it's always connected with.
3: Yeah, true.
1: I I think it's interesting that Tiffany, you talked
0: about how you guys came in sync, um, because it feels that among this among the new contemporary writers in Indonesia, it's like the both of you are kind of like a. Uh, a power couple of some sort um that's you know having a lot that's being noticed in the international literary landscape so to say um and i'm curious if the both of you can talk more about that and the role of indonesia in the international literary landscape um because there's the london book fair and the frankfurt book fair and i believe indonesia was a spotlight country at the london book fair a couple of years ago right right um also at Frankfurt, i think also at frankfurt oh
3: 2015 from frankfurt and then two years ago in london
0: right and specifically we were reading um tiffany's piece about um how like maybe non-indonesian editors um or literary figures have the power and influence to determine which indonesian or which kind of indonesian stories get published um and we're wondering more about that if you can talk more about that
2: i think it is hard you know I don't know. Yeah, so I, I almost wonder if there's something wrong with like thinking about uh, literature according to national boundaries and national lines, because I think that flattens out actually a lot of landscape within. Right. So, right. I mean, was, you know, like it flattens out questions of privilege, of class, of race, of like, you know, yeah, sexual orientation and identity. And, you know, all of those things. And I think another thing that's been hard of it is because recently, um, like after that, I published an essay about writing my, my novel, um, The Majesties. And that's about like a wealthy Chinese and an Asian family. And I don't know, just recently, my mother has been you know, saying, like, why did you publish that essay? It's really bad. We're going to get like a lot of negative. Oh, is it? The one
0: on Asian American Writers Workshop? the one about the photograph
2: yeah Yeah. Yeah. and so it's about my grandfather and I think because my you know for my mother she doesn't she's not you know quote unquote literary right and so she's very practical and so she's like you're drawing attention and it's really bad and it's going to result in bad things because um you know this isn't this isn't what you should be doing it's not safe so I think that's also been I think weighing heavily on me recently and so I think like how do I promote Indonesian literature just Indonesian, if it's even you know sometimes I feel like it is a country that is I guess hostile to
0: its own people my
2: demographic kind of yeah so I don't know yeah so I just feel like very conflicted these days about promoting literature like Indonesian literature just on a nationally defined basis right you know
0: did that article that you write gain a lot of attention and um, uh, because of that, you you felt the effects of the publication of that article?
2: I think it gained a lot of attention. And like, for me, you know, I received a lot of emails, a lot from Chinese Indonesians who were saying like, you know, thank you for writing this. It was you know really good like and you know I, I think but then i think it received enough attention like my mother was getting forwards you know saying like mm. and i think for her it's just any attention is bad attention so she was like it could be misconstrued no matter what you meant mm. yeah sorry Norma. no it's okay not happy stories <laughs> yeah happy,
1: happy mostly stories. right mostly <laughs>
2: Oh my gosh, Norman! You
3: should talk about the mostly happy story Mostly, <laughs> what's the story behind it? Um, so I don't have a title initially for for the book, and then like I broke my laptop before the pandemic started, so I, I I opened my old laptop and I found this folder "Cerita Cerita Bahagia" hampir seluruhnya, and I remembered years ago i i i tried to make a response to a goodreads reviewer that said i should retitle my first book as kumpulan cerita-cerita orang menderita like stories yeah. of people in suffering you can still find <laughs> oh the God. review in goodreads if you if you want to say And I, I think if i'm not mistaken it was a friend of a friend and this friend really likes my book and her friend Hates it so much. So it's funny. So, so I, I tried to, like years ago, try to like make a response to that review as a title of my second book. But I forgot. But then when I my, my I I broke my laptop, I, I used my old laptop and I found a folder and I remembered and I used it as the title of my book. And the word hampir is actually, I use it because of the word only a letter away from the word Vampir. Because like one of the stories in the book actually written based on the story of Nosferatu.
2: Oh.
3: I really want you to guess which stories okay. uh, based on okay. the story of Nosferatu. So, um, because like, how do you know? I, I grew up as a working class, right? And, and I, I grew up with, with a complicated relationship with my parents. And then I, I also like, how to say, let's say, like, desperate love for the divine as an Indonesian. Like, we all have this kind of, like, desire to, like, be closer to God. But then at the same time, you feel rejected by anyone who ha- who wields their power, like like the priest, for example. Mm-hmm. Because, like, it's, it is often, like, to hear, like, homophobic sermons on the weekend, right? So, I feel like I always thrown into the hampir like almost accepted almost getting in so in those little line called hampir the idea of being happy it actually becomes the vampire like it sucks Mm. your blood like drains you of your how say life energy Mm. this is from my own experience i think other queer might have different kind of experience sometimes i feel so-called progressive heteros kind of like you shouldn't be sad all the time it's not that bad anymore or something like that Mm -hmm. like snap out of it like like if i if i share about things that uh membebani pikiranku is they kind of like you complain too much something like that you need to be more happy it's as if being happy is easy i think being happy requires a lot of privileges i mean it can be simple, for example, just came in the form of a glass of water. But it also sometimes, it can be very, very huge, like getting a good job, for example.
0: Right. Which
3: probably you cannot get because of like things. I mean, I experience of having to let go of my job, right? Because of like office bullying and depression because of I like, getting bullied nationally. So I feel like the word happy uh, is not used very with with like with good responsibility by mm-hmm. the those people around me. So it's about, this book is about it.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Like how being happy is kind of like being forced on you. It's like compulsory happiness. You need to be happy. If you are not happy, then you are wrong. Right. You need to write happy endings. If you are right, sad stories, you are wrong. Even though like in reality, it's really hard to be even feel contented even like it's really hard to just feel contented i mean it is hard for queer people when happiness is not something that we can how to say like uh dijadikan sesuatu yang lebih material gitu like something we can it's not
0: something you can grasp
3: easily yeah when, when, when hetero people kind of like force you to be happy because happy gays are a sign of social progress. So you just need to have a happy face in front of them. And then for example, if, if a hetero person like say or do homophobic things and when you kind I don't know, kind of like told them uh, you're being homophobic or you're being queerphobic or you're being transphobic, they can get angry. Mm. So. They are sure they are not homophobic or they are not queerphobic. But for the queer and the, the gays, you're being one, honey. Like sometimes it's 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 hard because like definition, the definition of what is homophobia, what is queerphobia, what is transphobia is written by the hetero. It's kind of like so. How do you get your equality? How do you feel equal? Gitu lo. Mm.
1: Yeah,
3: I think it's the book is about how. Well, let's say I, I always feel thrown to the almost. Mm. Then, yeah, I actually use the word bahagia as a a town, a town thing. It's a really weighty word in Indonesian, bahagia. Yeah. I mean, orang Indonesia sekarang probably will slow aja, gitu. <laughs> <laughs> they, they will not use the word bahagia, so use it. Dan, dan bener, ket, when I use it as a as a title of the book, uh, banyak orang yang berfikir they will find pinky gay stories in it kayak okay my my stories can be pinky when my characters are rich oh, okay. i'm'm just, I'm just gonna say it <laughs> I I, I mean, no because like in the book you can find a working class queer in the front area of the book and a richer but gays like at the end of the book so it's kind of like a different kind of version of life they both have problems they both have things to how to say navigate but that it's a really different kind of life then the the mother in the both stories also act differently to homosexuality so i Hmm. think um that's the kind of like uh things i want to portray in a better yeah so
1: norman on the abc podcast They said that your poetry is kind of pushing boundaries in Indonesia, right? But then you said that it was initially for your boyfriend. It's kind of like a love letter. So I'm wondering, like, did it ever cross your mind while like writing "Sergius Mencari bakus" that you think, well, might as well make a point out of it? Or is it like a pure uh,
3: love letter? I never write to push boundaries, honestly. I write because I want to. I, because I like writing and sometimes people say like, you are a pioneer. I'm not. There are many, like countless queer writers before me. I'm just like a person because I'm, I feel very regular. So I write and sometimes people ask, uh, ask me, do you write to talk about taboo stuff in Indonesia? I didn't, I just write because it's all the things that matter to me. I, I write about queer sexuality, because it is like a big chunk part in my life. And then I write about homophobia in Christian Bataknis family because it is my life. So, of course, I have consciousness that is different from what other people write. But I don't write because of it. I write because I feel I I have to. And Sergius, yeah, it's a love letter. And what was your
1: boyfriend think of the book Um, as a gift? Because he really because likes it. Is very romantic.
3: I know, and he was not not was. He is my first boyfriend, and we've been together for seven years. This December.
2: Oh.
3: Yeah, I know, right? We are like, oh my god.
1: Congratulations.
3: He he is the muse when I write and when I wrote Sergius in Indonesian.
0: I love that. I love that. That's so. It's both like heartwarming and adorable. And I think it's, I I feel like it's funny um, hearing you talk about that process, Norman, because like you said, you write about things that you experience that are just big parts of your life. And then people construct it to be like, oh, you're writing about something that's edgy or non-traditional. And I feel like, like they just put labels like that, that don't fall into the 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 general the majority the um the preconceived idea that like let's say in indonesian literature when you talk about quote-unquote indonesian literature people normally think about like javanese straight hetero male writers muslim and if it's outside of that um it's like oh this person is like pushing boundaries are edgy and um i guess what i'm saying is like i experience that too (laughs) because people think that i'm writing about like certain things and i'm like just no it's like it's i just experience all the time so i write about it um so that's that's very relatable
3: and there is supremacy all of like less popular stuff becomes edgy in the eyes of the majority some something like so, I mean, even if you, if you just write something based from your life because of like the supremacy of like Java male Muslim stories, and then your writing seems kind of like edgy, even though it's like just you. I think that's also like show us the problem of representation in Indonesian lit, right? But then no one talks about it very seriously, I think. Here, I don't, I don't feel many people, many writers actually are sensitive enough about it. Like for example, if, if writers from East Indonesia talk about the, the urgency of East Indonesian writing, some writers from Jakarta kind of like, how to say, being a bit defensive about it. So I don't know. It's, it's very hard to talk about representation in Indonesia because like, I feel, even the most privileged feel they are marginalized because of Mm -hmm. like, like not so many books sold. So Mm -hmm. even like, I don't know, Sastra in Indonesia is so like for certain people, like 10 people for every city, something like that. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: I think also we need to be more honest about what's being published and what's not. Like uh, last year, someone's wrote an article basically saying Indonesian queer have many things on on public like publish even though like for me like I live in Bekasi I think masih di sekitaran ibu kota ya and I feel like it's so little so few queer writing published here I mean you cannot say 10 books as a lot
0: yeah you can
3: say like a lot of queer writing is published when it's maybe like 20% of the books published are from queer people, but it's like, I mean, it's breadcrumbs. Yeah. I'm not gonna be happy with breadcrumbs.
0: Yeah. I think the hard, the difficult conversation um, that I notice in, in the West, quote unquote, the West, whatever that means, um, and also in Indonesia is there's this sense that if people from minority demographics get published, they get published because of their identity, not because of the quality of their writing, not because their skill. And yeah, I think it's like, I think when when there's a little disruption in the majority landscape, it's like, oh my god, like they're gonna take over that kind of um, that kind of fear. Um, but i so i i wanted to ask cuz we did talk about how this like the majority and the general idea of what indonesia is or what indonesian literature is javanese male muslim um and the both of you actually um don't fall into into those categories and actually there's a lot of like christianity um undertones in your work. Um and I'm interested in in that in how maybe like how that has been received. Um but yeah, I, I was just curious about that because I feel like Christianity plays a big part in you guys's work.
3: Uh ini ada, aku ada sedikit cerita lucu. Jadi aku pernah baca review di Goodreads. Ya, yeah, I retreat good review a lot. Sorry. Jadi dia ngomong kurang bisa relate sama bukuku karena isinya kristen-kristenan semua. I was ah. like, like the point of your reading? Mm. Yang aku lucu, ni ni menurutku uh, banyak pembaca di sini yang bisa relate ke hal-hal yang terjadi misalkan di luar. Misalkan kita ngomongin racism against black people in America, orang sini tuh bisa relate. Tapi ketika kita ngomongin soal homophobia, atau racism against uh, Ambonis, or like Bataknis, or like Chinese, they can Jadi itu somehow menurutku it's a really-really strange irony yang sampai sekarang tuh I cannot make sense. Jadi ketika kita bicara soal, misalkan kita bicara soal Palestina, which is important ya, karena kita perlu punya uh, international solidarity, tapi maksud aku, ketika belok dikit dan kita bicara apa mm-hmm. it's contribute really different kind of discussion mm-hmm. so so i feel like it's really strange for me honestly like people can relate to things happening outside the country and be completely oblivious like to what happen inside here like like happen locally i still get sometimes like hal-hal yang kayak gitu kurang relate kan kristen-kristenan Okay, sorry, sorry for being Christian. Tapi kayaknya emang kita tuh punya kecenderungan meromantisir juga sih apa-apa yang ada dari luar. Jadi kalau ada buku dari luar, many readers try so hard to grasp it. Ketika, ketika itu di, when it's written in your in a tongue that you understand, you actually kind of like look down unless it has international recognition, some,
1: something like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is still the yeah. colonised mentality that we like most of us have. Indonesia
3: of course (laughs) like you're still being colonized but tiap tahun kita semua nge-tweet merdeka something like that right
2: (laughs) yeah yeah i don't know if i yeah i guess i i was just trying to think too about um like religion you know just uh talking about christianity and i feel like maybe I don't know. I think my experience now having, I guess I lived in the US before this and now I've been living in Australia for a long time. And I feel like uh, you guys mentioned this before, but it's kind of like more secular, more atheist. So I think it's almost kind of like becomes this thing where it's like, if you say you're of this religion, then they just assume you don't have issues with it or it's not hard for you. So I feel like that's been interesting in terms of thinking about, like, Serdius and, like, um, Happy Stories mostly. And then, um, I guess, a bit, like, my own, um, like, novel as well. Um, Like, kind of like, oh, if you're criticizing it, then you can't be that. Or it's, like, I don't know. I feel like people, maybe Western readers, get maybe more confused by the, like, faith and what what it's doing in the context of the, the book, maybe? Or the books? Um, but I think, I don't know, like having grown up in Asia, it's more, you know, people like often people assume you just have a religion, right? <laughs> like that's your religion and that's, you know, part of who you are. And I
0: think- Not in Singapore though, I feel. Singapore
2: now more, I feel, yeah, it's more like people like to be like free thinkers or whatever. I don't know. Like in the, I feel like that's changed a lot. Cause even in the nineties when I was growing up, like definitely- Um, there were not as many I guess people who were like secular like it was quite normal for for religion just to Mm. be part of people's identity or some religion like even if you didn't go to temple or go to church all the time but like I feel like I guess Mm. having that label it's kind of like it enables you to kind of explore what's in it and what's involved in it and there it becomes a wider I guess spectrum of you know like you know so you can have like issues or you can find this part problematic or um, you can have doubts but still be of that faith or considered of that faith and I feel like that's been different here like because often if something is critical of religion they just assume you're anti that religion but you're like no actually I am that religion but it's like complicated (laughs) you know or it's like it's actually just you know um, not as clear-cut you're not Mm -hmm. just like um, like non-thinkingly following it I guess so yeah so that's something I've found that um, has been interesting in terms of thinking about like writing for a western audience whatever the west means again yeah yeah
0: I feel like that that's also like another translation issue like what is translatable and what's not because a lot of people in the west don't understand that at least in Indonesia, Christianity is a minority religion and the Christianity in Indonesia is not, is not like Westboro Baptist Church or is not like the, the doesn't have the the political power and influence
1: that Christianity in the West has. Um, also Christianity in Indonesia, there are so many like Batak churches, like Japanese churches, and like there's so many. And each ones are different from the other, I guess. Even Bataknese like, churches, are. they are like, they are, there are so many versions, right? I mean, versions. There's so many kinds, like there. are
3: just-
1: you mean Yeah. Yeah. Um, Norman, I have a, a
0: little question about a specific line in your book. Um, there's a line it, that in English, it's translated to, but here's a little secret between us. I was once like you, I was once an Indonesian. And I'm curious if you can talk more about that.
3: Ah, It's from the divisions of Unanswered Prayer, right? Yes, my favorite chapter. (laughs) Um, So it actually revolves around the phrase, uh, looks can be deceiving. Because like as an Indonesian, there is no such thing as Indonesian look. Let's just be real about it. And maybe there is no such thing as Asian look, but then the culture, like the 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 Western culture, kind of like force a definition on us somehow. So there is such like a kind of like, oh, there is a Thai face, or there is Indonesian face, or there is a Malaysian face. When it when it but when it comes to real life, you you have no such things. Indonesians can look like Taiwanese. A Taiwanese can look like Indonesians. Japanese look can look like a Japanese person like it's really hard to it, it's not a big matter harusnya but it becomes a matter when 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 we see it with westernized lands kind of like you need to have a certain kind of look so that that phrase actually is about it kayak looks can be deceiving karena sometimes like dalam hal, kita udah bicara sama orang, luar especially white person there has to be that that looks for them gitu jadi looks can be deceiving you right. might not think that i'm indonesian but i I am something like that mm. karena kalau di in that story we talk about uh international office of heaven right itu sih
0: mm. i love that um when I was writing a screenplay, I was workshopping it with people um, and it's about Indonesians, but like, there's, um, there's like an Arab Indonesian, there's a Chinese Indonesian, there's a Javanese Indonesian. Um, And then these people were not Indonesian. They were like U S people. And they asked me, so like, if these are different kinds of Indonesians, how do I know? Like, how do I tell them apart based on their look? And I was just like, I don't know like why can't you look at the conflict
2: of the story yeah. instead of like the looks the looks the looks um, That's true. but yeah it's
0: I think
3: it's it's I think it's also what makes Indonesian literature so hard to be appreciated by western readers because sometimes you do the whole work of like experimenting with language and and then their first comment is so your characters gay something like that
1: yeah, yeah, it's that
0: thing, you know. I put in so much work on like the 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 story and the conflict, and then the first thing is like, oh, how do you tell the difference based on who how they look? So it
3: kinda's kind of like making Kaya Yeah. I know, right? You you feel the same. I I feel the same way so much. Yeah. Then I feel like uh Kaya Misalkani in a literary festival it is often that, aku tuh, I get question that is like, I feel like it's a bit strange, like, like for example, I once was asked if I were afraid of Islam, I was like, why do you ask that question? I mean, my my father's family was a Muslim, was Muslim family, and I was like, kayaknya pertanyaannya itu aneh deh, isn't this like literary festival? Like, shouldn't we talk about like, how, how I write?
2: Yeah, because it was the same festival where you put on, it was really weird. It was like panel yeah. on faith, faith, like religious religious tolerance or something. Yeah. Oh my God. Because, because um, of Norman's demographics, you know, like, and because of our demographic, you know, you get put on these weird panels where you don't even mm-hmm. talk about lit. They're like, what do you think about the political situation and how, we can, how can we avoid it in the future? And you're <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, yeah.
3: Can you talk about the zombie? Yeah. Or like, in my workplace, but no. <laughs> it's always talking about as if I write uh, only to make, how to say, political statement. Mm-hmm. I feel it's 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 a dangerous tendency to, to treat queer writing that way.
2: Yeah. And it's like what you kind of said, Norman, about like, the titik mula is from that, you know, like from the queerness. And then you can go... Yeah from there and do other things that's not the point that's not the end point you
3: know like if when we start talking about the the how to say the playfulness of the work and then oh time's up sorry come back tomorrow something like that so it's kind of like there are there are no time to talk about to talk about how I write like or how Tiffany it translates it's it's always like thrown back to the how do you feel as a queer writer in Indonesia? Do you feel afraid? Blah, blah, blah. Do you want to move out of the country? It's always like that.
0: Actually, so this is a segue to another thing that Ruth and I were talking about. So you use magical realism. And that word magical realism is almost overused these days in like film and poetry and, and literature and everything. But... I feel like there's a trend in contemporary Indonesian literature that um, there's so much mag- magical realism. Like, I guess I'm wondering, like, what your opinion is on that. Like, is it a trend? Is it not a trend? And if it is a trend, like, why is it? Is it, yeah.
1: And Ruth was saying, like, is it because we grew up listening to, like, folklore, fairy tales, fairy tales. That by combining that element in the literature with criticism that's kind of like high make the criticism like more subtle and then easy to digest
3: i i don't know how to answer that i mean i think it's case by case mm-hmm. in in my version i never planned my writing to be like actually honestly i see my work as more as a fantasy i didn't i think Magical realism is kind of like a strange phrase, honestly. And that mm. it's just like, how to say, it's just, I don't know, writing. Like, I, I write certain theme because I like it. I need it to be written rather than like, I want to, rather than if I want to be be seen as like magical realist, because I, I, I never plan it to, to have that, mm. how to say, that label on my work. So I don't know, like, I mean, I feel like I just write. And uh, for example, why I write Heaven as an office, I think it's more how I want to make sense divinities. Like, I think for many queer Indonesians, religions are so stressful because you are, you, you grew up with, and like i mean the people around you your parents your teachers kind of like build this way of thinking that um the relationship with god is like the most important thing in your life that it will divine you as a person but then at the same time uh there is like so little acceptance about who you are like for example I have this uh hetero fan, friend in in college who are like oh I'm progressive and uh I don't hate gay people but he has this idea if if someone is gay they have to be single to chastise themselves because queer sex is still wrong in a relationship so so I was like he has this idea that if you are gay, you need to be single for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's making you again back to the almost, like almost accepted but not accepted. So I feel like that's the kind of like um how to say like a curse that put by the, the society on you. And I I I I write uh, heaven as an office it's actually to try to make sense that that mass gitu loh um karena if i materialize heaven as an office if i make it into a very thing that i understand it is easier for me to understand my own reality like my own situation karena kadang menurutku recreated into something else you kind of like stripping something from like all the things that confuse you. Hmm. I feel like writing that story about heaven as an office itu help me to understand uh the complexities uh that I have with with the idea of god. gitu sih lebih lebih ke situ. Jadi maksudnya I I write heaven as an office is not to make a magical realism or whatever thing, but it's more because I want to make sense uh what confused me.
2: Yeah, I'm kind of over the label magical realism. I feel like already 10 years ago, people were like, this is not use this is not a useful label. Kind of annoying. And then we still use it because we don't know what else to use. Maybe like fake now is more common as well. But yeah, I almost feel the same way as Norman. And I think that's maybe why like so much with his writing i
3: think it's similar when people say my first book is romance i was like of course it's romance but it's it doesn't make my book worse by it has like romance label i don't care Mm
2: -mm -mm. yeah you just kind of i don't know yeah you write like you write what you you write i don't know i feel like it's the same with me uh when i when i write i'm like it just turns out the way it does and you're like oh
1: (laughs) yeah Right, But as a writer, do you guys feel that it is now the trend? Especially for Indonesian literature? No? I don't know. I don't know, honestly. You Maybe to... people always
2: wrote like that, but no one published it. And then now people, publishers are finally publishing it. But it was always there. I don't
1: know. <laughs> uh, right. I mean, that makes sense too, yeah.
3: When we talk about publishing trend, when we talk about creative trend, we need to remember that everything on the public is created.
2: Mm. Not
3: all cultural uh productions are equally published. So we cannot say, oh, there is a tendency of Indonesian writer writing magical realism. Well it's possibly that the one who don't get published, something like that. Mm. So I think we should ask not about about the trend, but we need to talk about why is it Itu adalah uh, kenyataan yang kita lihat gitu.
1: Yeah, I, I was curious about your opinion because I feel like whether it's a trend or not, why this format it's uh grabbing atten- people's attention. Yeah.
3: I feel like, I feel like, how to say like magical whatsoever itu udah ada dari dulu-dulu banget. I mean, Senogumira basically apa ya? sgawa yang absurd sudah ditulis Senogumira jadinya ya yeah, hmm.
2: yeah, like hmm. cuz i've been translating ensating Dharma and then i was looking at his work yeah. from the 70s and it's like yeah. the very i mean absurdist was the label for it in indonesia before before it's like the label is absurdist and then now it's like oh magical real <laughs> hmm. but maybe magical realist more lyrical like, Di... or something like that
3: <laughs> in a western lenses pasti dibilangnya semuanya magical realism padahal kalau kita orang Indonesia beda sajalah. <laughs> yeah,
2: the maybe the label is the wrong one because the label so small, right? Absurdist, magical realism. But actually, that's more the norm when you think about all the different styles. And then so they're like, it's actually almost like realist should be not the norm.
0: Realist well, should be the the niche. Yeah, yeah. And even
2: then, right? When something is realist, I mean now, like pada Um, um, like kind of like, oh, that's just considered default or normal. But actually, it's really weird. If you start labeling everything realist, 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 you'd be like, but they're so different. They're not all just realists. And it's the same, I think, with like magical realism. You're like, it's different. So I feel like it's a bit weird because it's a small label that we're applying to actually like quite diverse body of literature and diverse like writing and all of that. But it's just almost like we're still stuck in this default setting and we don't realize it's not the default it's actually just like one subset of many many different kinds of writing yeah I don't know and then you think about like because um okay so everyone is writer everyone writes right like do you remember what you wrote as kid as a kid like sometimes you think of the stories you wrote as a kid right and you're like wow that was like really crazy shit I mean sorry and then it's kind of like because you didn't think in terms of, you know, like anything, right? You were just like, I'm going to write this thing. And then I, you know, I think back on that and I'm like, wow, I made, because I, like, you know, like I made that really crazy story when I was like 10 and I would never think about that now, but I did it when I was then because I was like, I'm just going to write what, you know, this cool thing I have in mind and then you just write it.
3: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I wrote fan fiction for Twilight, but let's not talk about it.
1: I want to read that. <laughs> oh, I want to read that. So when I was, when I mean, there was a
3: point in
0: my life I was obsessed with Twilight. This was before the movie, and then I think like, um, after it was like the third book, then I was like, no, this thing is shit. I'm, I'm gonna stop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, I feel like, I don't know. Honestly, I feel like the the true north for many writers actually is to go back to like how you were when you were a kid before the world started telling you you should write like this and you should write like this and you should write like this Yeah, for me at least yeah, because yeah. it's yeah the world just ruins you in different ways yeah. and then your voice is not original <laughs> anymore I mean,
3: honestly yeah. when i was in high school i wrote wrote fan fiction for twilight and now i wrote a book that has a story uh, written based on the story of Snowsfera too, right? So, it has a link. <sighs> oh my God.
1: But I want to read the Twilight
3: uh, one. Ah, it's It's gone. <laughs> like, 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 even like, I don't know. Um, I still remember the plot, but no. But in my story, Bella has cancer. <laughs> yes.
0: It reminds me of um that Korean drama it was like Winter Sonata or something where the girl oh yeah the that girl has the cancer
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: and then I remember like as a kid my mom watched the whole thing with me and then but then when she when the girl started dying she was like okay let's stop watching this because it's not bahagia anymore and we should stop consuming <laughs> um things that are not happy because that will affect us and that broke me like I couldn't stop thinking about it and obsessing over the ending because I wanted to know the ending. Um nice. and even until today I don't think I ever saw I don't know you know the I've never watched the ending of Winter Sun I don't
3: know if you remember Bukuhari and Naila. Mm-mm.
1: Wait, is it a TV show?
3: Yeah it is a piece book? on one liter of tears.
1: Oh. oh oh yeah yeah
3: yeah I think I think for for me who lives in Bekasi and joining like, how to say Christian students group, it's like big momentum for us to see a Christian on the TV. Mm-hmm. So I feel it's such a good time to talk about it I am ayam kalasan. Bersama. But then when
1: you're watching it, you're like crying because she's dying. Yeah,
3: and then, uh-huh. oh my God, Blenowisky is so handsome, something like that. But I feel like Indonesians actually. Hungry for representation, but I think the way we don't talk about race affects how media's, uh, how to say, represent us. Like, there are always, Tidak boleh membahas Sarah, right? Like whenever, everywhere. Even though, like, it's actually the thing that we need to talk more, but with, like, openness and then acceptance. Right. So, I think that's
1: very Japanese attitude for like yeah. let's not talk about it yeah. but behind it we we're like
3: yeah you are ghosting <laughs> up yeah. and it, it's it's harder I think I think earlier in my writing I found it hard to about uh, me as a Batak people even like it's, it, it 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 is hard to imagine my character as Batak it is easier to imagine my character as a raceless person because we don't talk about race in Indonesia. And out of a sudden, in the Twitter, we, we need to talk about race. So I feel like many people sedikit so gagap soal itu. Like they get defensive whenever we talk about it, even though we need to talk about it. So yeah.
0: When you say Indonesians are actually hungry for representation, you mean the different ethnicities in indonesia want to see themselves portrayed yep, yep, i think so
3: because like uh every time the movie muncul di bioskop oh my god my mom and and her friends and mm. i i think even when it is different race like chinese like crazy rich asian many indonesians are excited about it even though it's about asian americans it's not about asian in asia but then we are get excited similarly about the movie because, I mean, in in terms of like international uh, context, it is like, it's all mostly white faces we see on this bioscope, in books, in anything. And in Indonesian context, so many things is that raceless. Mm. So, I think we just long to see our saksang, we just long to see our somai, we just long to see To see those stuff on TV, right? It happens to me and my family, I guess, at least.
0: When when you say like Batak films, are the filmmakers Batak? Like the writer directors also Batak?
3: No. Mm. Sometimes all of them are Japanese. Yeah, because which I still tolerate. Okay, I still people chance.
0: I remember like right after, you know, the presidency change in like 1999 or so, um there were a lot of films talking about like Chindo culture, but like I think there was only one who's uh there was only one writer director who was actually like Chindo himself, who was Edwin, but everyone else were like I believe are Japanese and Makasar is um which like I that's you know that's fine because people shouldn't be, like, you, you should be able to, like, make films about other communities. Um, yeah. But it's also a question, like, about representation, not just in the story and in front of the camera. It's a but
3: question of opportunities, mm-hmm. I feel. And I don't say this in a bad way, right? I like the a lot. I like the listari, see so cool. But not so many people are angry about of her, at her because of her gay characters. But then when I, for example, won an award for my poetry, many people are mad about it. So it's kind of like funny when, when hetero writer wrote about queer people, it's not such a big deal. But when queer people wrote about their experience, it become an issue. So I think it's, it's also a question about opportunities, I guess.
2: Yeah, I mean, even, um, I mean, just related to that, because I used to do, back in the day, I used to do research on like East, um, East Kalimantan literature, just like kind of like um, on like the scene and what was going on there in mid-2010s, I guess. And it was interesting because, you know, like just in like small regional anthology, right, that is like locally printed and whatever, You can find at least in each anthology, maybe one gender reveal story written by, a, you know, like from perspective of a um, hetero writer who's writing about gay characters. And it's not an issue, right? Like that kind of thing is not an issue. And I think it does make a difference when you're like, I I would say that often, you know, the writers will get praised and said, oh, look, they're kind of tackling this issue. But I got like this kind of, you know thing and the marginalization that like you know queer people feel and like somehow that is praiseworthy but then when it actually comes to you know like a queer writer writing openly about it somehow it is more um offensive or you know you cannot like yeah because and I think it is because like all of a sudden it's like oh they're not on the side and they're not like almost objectified or pitified I don't know so And I think that makes a big difference. And I think it would be the same for those kinds of, um, you know, like films that are made about like different communities that are not your own, that are marginalized. Like, uh, for example, there's a poem on like the May riots when it came out. I think, Norman, you know which poem I'm talking about, but it is called something like May 1998 or something like that. And it's, um, you know, all of these. There, there are, like, you know, some, some works and some poems that are about the um, Khrushan Mei, right? The anti-Chinese riots. And, like, they would kind of bother me, but I didn't know exactly why and couldn't put my finger on it until, like, more recently. And I was like, I think it's because it's a tragedy, and then these poems are about a tragedy. For example, this poem, Mei, is, like, about someone named Mei, because all Chinese-Indonesian female characters in Indonesian works are called Mei. (laughs) Like, you know, and it was about like how, you know, her body was like being like devoured by the flames and all of that. And so it's actually quite uh, graphic, but it's like, we can witness the tragedy of people who are marginalized and the objects of violence when they are the objects of violence or the victims of violence. So in a way it's almost too late, right? Like these things are like, you know, like saying like, oh, that was really awful, and all of the violence that happened was really awful, and it's like, but it's too late, and they can only be pitied, and there can only be sympathy insofar as there was a tragedy, mm. right? Insofar as there was like massive like violence and you know, rape and like kakarasan and like you know like all and and all of that like, and it's the same you know when you think about it right with the consumption of maybe like literature about refugees or you know, um, Papua and all that. So it's almost this weird thing where the literature about those violent or tragic events, it, it does bring it up, but also it almost makes it palatable by the fact that there was a violent event. So it can't, you can't have a work pre-violence or
1: mm, mm.
2: causing the violence mm. or stopping the violence. <laughs> Right. It almost has to be like the work about the victim that mm-hmm. is has already become the victim. But then it's almost too late, you know. So, yeah, that's how I feel. And it, it kind of works in the same, I feel, for gender, the gender reveal stories. It's often right, like some thwarted love. Right. This person who like, you know, oh, they couldn't be together. And that's the shame of it. And that's where that interracial, inter, you know, like or for, you know, like queer characters, a sympathy can be for them because something bad happened.
3: I think it's a bit strange for me, uh, if I read something about like vicious violence written by the non-survivor because sometimes so many romanticization about suffering itself. Maybe for us the survivor, it is a traumatic images, but for those people who who doesn't, who don't experience the violence, but write about it, those traumatic images itu malah menjadi semacam edginess in their writing.
0: Trauma porn.
3: Yeah. for example, misalkan tubuh tubuh terbakar. Untuk thief, it's it's this triggering, of course, but then for those people who don't experience those oppression, the image of Female body burning, oh my God, it's so soyji for them, something like that, So I feel like uh it is when our writing about survivor alienates the survivor, I feel, yeah, get to see somehow, even producing those cultural stuff, it would marginalizing the people yang udah marginalized mm-hmm. it's a bit strange, as you see,
1: I want to come back to uh, Tiffany's, uh, what you said about tragedy. Isn't it like the word tragedy itself is the meaning of it is uh, it it contains the meaning that it happened in the past. Like it's it's one package, don't you think? That's why.
2: Well, because tragedy, you have to know the ending. (laughs) Otherwise, you don't
1: know, you're not a tragedy. (laughs) Right. Well, maybe maybe we need to come up with another Terms so that we can talk about. I mean, yeah, I lost it. Yeah, no, no, but, but I, I
2: understand. Like, I guess maybe it's a better way of putting it. Is kind of, and maybe this is where that speculative element comes comes in. I don't, I don't know. Um, sorry, I'm just kind of throwing up things. But it's like, you know, like for example, like we can talk about massacres and they happen in the past, and we can say, oh, this will teach us not to do it again. And then it happens again. But then it happens because we don't realize that the massacre is happening and is going to happen very soon because we can only, the the situation only becomes sympathetic, empathy inducing, sympathy inducing once almost it's ended and the threat is gone, right? But when it's still a perceived threat on the horizon, like, oh no, queers are going to take over the world, or, you know, oh no, you know, like Indonesia is going to be overrun by like, you know, non-Muslim, like minorities. Oh no, Papua can be free. <laughs> Sorry, like, you know, like all of those things, like kind of like once they're, they're still on the horizon and there's still a possibility, it's very hard to talk about it, right? So almost like to, in, if you, it's almost like this reaction, I think, of the artist to be like, how do I make this sympathetic? I can only talk about it if sympathetic, if it's no longer a threat. So how do I make it no longer a threat? We talk about the past, we talk about victims, we talk about death,
1: mm.
2: you know, we talk about it. And it's, it's kind of a weird thing, right? Because you've neutralized the threat already yeah. when you're not talking about the future, right? And I think Norman lo- has this term, which I really love, uh, discontinued futures, right? And I think there's so much in that, that term. Norman, you should talk more about that term. Like, it's just something you're a lot, a lot now. <laughs>
3: So, it, it is actually, I don't know if it's like goib or anything, yeah. Jadi, I have a really close, like one of my best friend who died of cancer. The day she died, I kind of like, out of the blue, wrote a poem about discontinued future. Uh It has a phrase, apa namanya, semacam...
2: It discontinued... Ya,
3: memecat, memecat kamu sebagai masa depan dan masa laluku, gitu. Jadi, so, it, it has the idea of like being pastless and futureless and in the morning i found out that she died so so she gave her complete collection of pramudia work uh, to her ex-boyfriend and i and her sister planning to rebuy all of the stuff to give to her but then uh we ended up didn't buy it because she died Uh, i feel like all of those ideas about the future that will not happen won't happen never happen it is like um it is when when your reality is beyond your control like when you don't have power to make a decision for your life trajectory and i think it, it happens a lot for queer in indonesia like for example you work in an office maybe you don't plan to to change jobs or you don't plan to resign but then there is homophobia that is like beyond your control and you know with 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 homophobia there is no win-win solutions because like either you straighten out yourself or you get out like it's basically that you cannot like oh you're gay i'm not but we can work no there's no such thing here i think so i feel like so many good future are are killed even before it becomes a possibility so i feel like talking more about how my life as a queer is shaped by the hetero people around me and somehow that that lack of self-control self-sovereignty affects uh how you live basically yeah the story about the raksasa has that element, right? Mm-hmm. In the end, it imagines yeah. a future where where Batak people are not colonized by the Dutch. I
0: love that story. Ruth and I, Ruth and I were talking about that story, and Ruth was like, "Yeah, that's the that's the ultimate goal of the missionary to make the local people fall in love." And then we started talking about um the Parolian, the giant, um the Batak giant.
3: Uh, It was all made up. My editor actually, it is like really a folktale. Yeah, I almost googled it.
1: I actually googled it. It
3: It isn't. Sorry. (laughs) It's just a fictional folktale.
0: I love it. I thought it was real.
3: (laughs) Like being speculative in a speculative. So I, I, I just like to play with ideas. So even like in at the end of the story it's actually another reimagination of the story so it's kind of like a story within a story within a story so yeah mm. i just like to like imagining uh what is it is like uh batak life without colonialism and like forced conversion right i still how to say i still i really like that story because my boyfriend likes it
1: oh if my
3: boyfriend likes it then i'm happy Aww.
2: It's so playful. It is. It's a good story. It's one of my favorite stories. Yeah, I remember I had such a hard time translating the title. Do you remember Norman? I was like, how do we translate? This? <laughs> and then that's why the title in English is very different. Is not a literal translation of the title in Indonesian because I felt like it, the flavor is different when you translate it literally.
3: Yeah. And
2: then also, I was complaining about Norman to this. I feel like Lalaki, and. I mean, even like Lucky Lucky, I feel like it's very different flavor than man in English.
3: Yeah.
2: I feel like man, once you put man in it, it's a bit like, oh man, there's a man. Like, Pria.
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. yeah.
0: Anyway. So, should we ask the closing questions that we normally ask? Yeah. Our closing question is what is your favorite, I guess, batak food? Um, And Tiffany, since you, since you grew up in, in so many different places, um, I don't know if it's like Indonesian American food. I don't, um, Indonesian, Australian food, Indonesian, Singaporean food. Yeah.
3: Um, I would say babi panggang karo, but it is is karonis. (laughs) (laughs) Like people, karo people doesn't like to be called Batak. Mm, That is true. Yeah, karo likes to be called karo. And I don't. Eat pork that much? I so rarely eat pork, but when I eat babi panggang karo, oh my God, it is delicious. Then I also like ikan arsik, but only after we fry the fish.
1: Mm. Is that the one that you folded inside the banana leaf with tons of chili?
3: No, no. no I mean, jadi itu kayak it's like kari ikan kari gitu lo. It's like curry.
1: Oh. But then,
3: if you fry it the whole the whole thing become crispy and then kalau if you fry it like sampai kering it can be abon like fish like
0: uh floss
3: yeah kayak abon ikan and when it's like jadi abon ikan omg it was so good i'm sorry <laughs> i don't care about my health but it is so good and so so oily <laughs> those are the
2: best yeah
1: and it's fish oh, it's cheaper what about you tiffany nice.
2: i don't know i don't know if there's such a is there such a thing as indonesian australian food or indonesian american food
1: i think indonesian food always always just indonesian yeah, food. yeah
2: not yet i don't think
1: Indonesian Malay no food. but here's the
0: thing i realize indonesian american food there is because they they can't find singkong here so singkong here oh. is kale and maybe that is indonesian american food kale um gulai kale (laughs) oh gulai kale oh
2: interesting yeah yeah i never thought of that i think i'm spoiled in australia because you can get a lot of the ingredients here like it's not as hard as in 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 um the us i couldn't get anything there but i really miss a good bambet i just really miss it like we had really good bambet when i visited norman in Bekasi, like
3: pempek gabi, yeah, yeah, okay, baby. I think you should try. Kalau ke Bekasi, pempek gabi. It's
2: really good, but I really miss like all of the different kind of pempek. Cause over here, I just found a place that will deliver um pempek like um kapal salam, like. But then actually, that's not my favorite one. So it's like, oh, okay. And then the vinegar sauce needs to be more vinegary. I don't know. It's okay. So pempek and like. I don't know. It's very basic, but like just good uh, tempe goreng because the tempe here is very tawar. It doesn't have any flavor at all, and even like I've been trying like to really like rendam it in like um, chickens like stock or like um, salt, and it's still not working. So I just yeah. miss that. I could just eat that like all the time.
3: Harus kebekasi lagi, Tiff.
2: Yeah, mau <laughs> dong.
3: I really someone yeah Bekasi. to <laughs> Bahasa. When...
0: <laughs> so when I was on the way to the airport in Seattle, coming back to New York, just like last week, I was in this cab and normally, you know, like Uh, cab drivers sort of uh, strike a conversation and I think it's always interesting to talk to them because they always have an entirely different life outside of taxi driving Um, and this particular taxi driver from Mogadishu he I think one of the first thing that he asked me was what is the population of Christian minority in Indonesia And I asked him, like, how, like, what made him suddenly ask that? And he said, oh, it's because I see your name and I recognize that you have a Christian name and Indonesia is a Muslim country and I recognize a Muslim name. So I know that you are not Muslim. And um, and then he started asking about you know if if the percentage of the religious minority in Indonesia is so small compared to like the ninety something percent Muslim majority, like what is the treatment like over there and stuff and that like that was the first time i was I felt wow, like this is I've never had someone ask me that before because normally taxi drivers will ask, Oh, you know,
1: what specifically make him think?' that you are a christian
0: because he says alexandra is a greek which uh, is a christian name
1: i mean there are five big religions in indonesia there is a possibility that you are from indonesia with
0: like hindu yeah but do you think hindus would have make their name alexandra i feel like hindus would have a sanskrit name like narendra aditya andini andira Bramantyo. like my friend who's buddhist like her name is which is a very like Sanskrit name.
1: Hmm. Um, My friend's name is Wendy, and is a Buddhist. <laughs> well, I don't know, um, but I
0: guess like I, I just uh, it yeah, made it's, me it's
1: interesting.
0: It's interesting, and maybe that feeling that I felt that this is the first time that a taxi driver is sort of acknowledging this thing is. Kind of the same feeling that um, Norman was talking about when he first saw Bukuhari and Naila. Um, and right. that's when he, he first saw like himself. So
1: that show is super sad, though. <laughs> anyway, um, I guess. Thank you for listening. And thank you for Norman and Tiffany
0: for sharing so much of your insight with us.
1: And if you're a non-Indonesian-speaking person, you can check out Norman's book, Habit Stories mostly. It's really good.
0: And check out their other stuff too, like this new piece by Norman that's coming out next week about a salon where you make new memories. Um, and the piece by Tiffany from last month about writing and resilience. Thanks for listening. And until
2: our next piece, Selamat Natal. Tahun baru.